This is our Suburb Health Report for November 2022, and we'll be looking at what property investors need to know when they're looking at investing across the country. In this episode, we'll be discussing the difficulties inherent in relying on property price movement data. When headlines announce that prices are falling faster than they have in decades, exactly what prices are they referring to? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Moore. Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as download our free full or forecaster report, which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au This month, we've asked Ken to share some of his recent breakthrough research with us. We're very excited by this as he's been interrogating property data as he does and found some pretty important patterns that show which segments of the market are more impacted in a slowdown. So, Ken, can you kick us off by briefly explaining how you started on this train of thought? Yes, what I did is I measured the statistical area three median using a rolling 90-day sample size. And then what I did is I split the suburbs that belong to that area into the above and below that median. So two cohorts, group A, group B, above and below. And then what I did is I counted how many listings existed in both. Um, So it was just a method to say, how is the composition of the market changing and how could that impact price and create some potential bias? And we often talk about this bias at a suburb level when we say the typical beachside scenario. If nothing's Mm. listed along the beach, prices will probably go down in that beachside suburb. The same thing is actually happening now even at that SA3 level, which by and large, the SA3 median has been very well behaved and still generally is, but we are seeing some bias come up now. So there's some some interesting things. And the way I'm measuring this bias is just to say, is it a fairly even split or is there a shift? Is there a shift from a a balanced market or more towards the uh, increase in the expensive suburbs or decrease in the expensive and more listings in the less expensive. Hopefully that makes sense. So let's tease this all out a little bit. Um, I'm following you because I'm well-schooled in the art of the way Kent looks at property data, which is great. And I remember years ago when you first mentioned that that term compositional bias to me when we're talking about median property data, median price data, and I was like, yes, I get it now. It's like if you look at the composition being what property sales make up that data. And every suburb has its own spread or distribution of types of properties and price ranges and all the rest of it. So when you say that SA3 data is well behaved normally, that's because you're looking at a volume of data. And obviously, the bigger pool of data you've got, the more um, reliable, I guess, or the less outliers or the less impact an outlier can have. Yeah, um, more, the more normally distributed approximately. Mm. So, you know, we're looking for something that looks a bit like that bell-shaped curve. It's never perfect, but it's a lot better at the SA3 level. And we don't want to zoom all the way out to an LGA like Brisbane, which is a huge big city, Mm -hmm. or a state or even the capital city size. They're too big uh, and ignores the the fact that there's very a lot of sub-markets. So the SA3 is a little bit of the Goldilocks measure. (laughs) And what I found, I listed down five markets that have done some really interesting shifts. So the composition has gone through a major shift. 
Um, and the first one is Brisbane Inner North. Now, this has been one of those hot markets. You know, every, yeah. All eyes have been on Brisbane Inner. Yeah. Um, and Brisbane Inner North is kind of covers that Tenerife, Hurston, Grange, some of those really elite suburbs. Yep. Um, and then the suburbs below the SA3 median include Hendra and Wilston and Lutwich, Newmarket, yeah. et cetera. So they're all good suburbs, but mm. we're just effectively dividing them into the above and below the median. What we found there is an increase, and this is this is looking at the average listings and then what happened in August. So this is a little bit little bit dated, mm. um, this particular report. So we're now you know a few weeks old. Um, we've seen uh, two extra listings, plus two listings in the above average, but we've seen a plus 16 uh, listings as of August in the below average. So you can see there a bit of a shift. Now, it's very likely that that's going to, you know, all things are equal. If all those properties sell, it's very likely to have a, a downwards uh, impact uh, on the median price for that SA3. And what's interesting there too, because, you know, I'm not, overly familiar with Brisbane, but I am aware that Newmarket and that area is a inner city area. Mm. And I would imagine that means that the smaller block sizes and smaller houses and you get up to Tenerife and that's where you've got those, um, you know, city view uh, properties quite high up. And and I would imagine bigger blocks of land, bigger houses. And so therefore more likely to sell for higher prices than not necessarily better properties, but different and yeah, more and look, expensive. Massive diversity in a lot of these markets, especially in a in a in a Brisbane, because you can have anything for as you said, from a 120, 130 square meter lot size all the way to a three or a four or a five hundred in the same street. And some hmm. of the price, if, if you look at some of the, the prices, um, especially in the premium suburbs, you can talk millions of dollars variance in one mm -hmm. street. And that yeah. that's worse in the higher price median areas. So you know, if you go to a a multi-million dollar suburb, you'll find that divergence or, or spread significantly larger than your homogenous western suburbs. I guess with the medians, it's just so dangerous in booms because the medians shoot up and everyone thinks their property's gone up 50, 80%, right? Because the median's gone up that. Yep. And CoreLogic says that in terms of their, uh, you know, the, what your price is worth. And it's not really the reality, right? It's not so you get an agent through and you actually really know how your property fits within a suburb. But in booms, you know, the portion of better properties or more expensive properties increases because everyone tries to cash in and take advantage of this amazing, you know, crazy FOMO. Um, but and so that pushes up the median. But then in times like now, people hold on to those properties and so then it pushes the median down. So you get, you know, it, it potentially looks worse than it is for you at the moment if you've got a decent property because the medians are falling heaps and you know, it looks like the market's down 15%, but you might find well, your property's only falling 10%. Um, but in the same thing in the boom, you thought it went up more than it probably did as well um, because the median is – that's just the danger at the moment when I think everyone going into the media or looking at suburbs, you just got to go on the ground and look at your property and, and similar properties and see exactly what's happening to that to really understand how your property is performing. I mean, with the listings number, Ken, that's something that I'm trying to watch closely for our clients and say, okay, well, let's look at your suburb. Let's look at what's on the market, looks where you're trying to buy, et cetera. And mm. You know, I actually seen quite different results. I, I think there'd be not many properties on the market in this suburb, and then bang, actually there is quite a lot. Um, and then I look at a different client and look at what they're looking at, and be like, "Oh, fire! There's only three properties on the market in the whole suburb." So it's really you know different, and that's top markets. It's not just you know. Uh, so what are you seeing? Where are the, where are listings really sort of ballooning? I mean, yes, off a low base, but where are they sort of becoming a problem? I guess where you're getting lots of stock sitting on the market. 
Well, look, there's a number of uh, markets that have seen some surge in listings, and I'll, I'm going to use the, the an air quote for when I say surge is because <laughs> if you look at the comparison to, say, the average over the last 12 months, we've come off a period where listings yep. volumes have been extraordinarily low. So I'd say we're more moving to normal. We're heading back to normal market conditions, but everyone's in shock because we haven't had normal for so long. Mm. Um, so, so just jumping off off that report, which is those five regions we can come back to, specifically to answer your questions, there are a number of areas where I've seen a surge in, in listings. Um, and I've done a top 20 there. I'll, I'll quickly go through maybe the top five just to talk about yeah. where listings volumes at an SA3 level have gone up. Um, Coffs Harbour's had a bit of a surge there, uh, an increase. Uh, this is I'm now moving and using data as of September in comparison to 12 months leading up to the average per month. 75% increase in listings in COFs. And um, the inventory level has gone up. So that tells me at the moment, and, and inventory is always a bit of an issue yeah. because we don't know exactly how many properties have sold yet. Um, so, so inventory can, just, just, just for those who, who may not be on top of the difference, let's just clarify what's the difference between listings and yep. inventory. Okay, so... Inventory uh, uses listings, volumes, and sales volumes, mixes them together and gives you a, a number. What that number is, is months of stock. So the example is if I have uh, 10 listings and two sales per month, 10 divided by two equals five months of stock. There's two very important ways to measure or look at the measures of inventory. Number one is what is it now, but what was it last month and what mm -hmm. was it a few months ago? So the trend is probably right now that trend or shift in inventory is the most important metric because it tells you whether demand is keeping up with the increase or surge in listings, air quotes again. So and that's assuming there is because it's not actually, like we've said before, this stuff's not universal. There's areas where there's an absolute decline in listings as well. You know, so yeah, yeah. You, you <laughs> it's an interesting. There's mix, no blanket. It? There's no single blanket we can throw over these markets. So, um, Coffs Harbour's um, uh, top of my list. It's a big surge. There's a fair volume of new house and land that have come on. So often that is the case, and and more often than not, they come and they go. It just depends on that pipeline. Mm. But so it's had a, a surge of, of se an increase of seventy five percent. The average uh, SA three median. Uh, has decreased by 4%. So this was called out by a few of the different uh, commentators as well that Coffs was going to go through this reckoning. Uh, it is happening. So so that was number one. Sandgate is up in uh, uh, just north of Brisbane there. That's jumped by 61%, but the prices are still flat. Now, that's the SA3 rolling 90 days. So mm. our inventory levels just over six months and have increased by one month. So I don't expect it to stay flat. I expect mm. it to, to, to react. As, as inventory levels start to build, stock stays on the market, people react and want to move their stock. Um, another one that's really interesting, and I think this one will turn up some interesting opportunities, Hobart Northeast. Now, mm. Hobart was on our radar years ago. All, everyone, you know, all eyes were on Hobart, and a lot of smart money went to Hobart five, ten years ago. So Hobart has seen any Hobart Northeast SA3 seen an increase of 60% in its average listings. Um, its inventory levels, though, are still pretty low. So it's come off at a very, very low base. Mm. It's up to about three and a half months now. It's jumped by nearly one month. So that is going to have an impact on price. And we can see that the median SA3 has gone down by 5% month on month. 
So there is an adjustment going on there. But I think what's going to happen in some of these markets, it's eyes are going to shift towards these areas. So you'll you'll start to see some good buys start to appear. Mm. And I think that that mobile investor class will start to flush out these bargains that start to, to surface. I mean, I guess what we're saying is that uh, it's a good time to take action because your competition uh, depends on your borrowing capacity, actually. If, you, if you're running your borrowing capacity to your max, um, then you've got to spend less because your borrowing capacity has dropped by 25 30% plus, depending on a few different factors, right? Mm. Um, so if you wanted to buy something, I don't know, 1.5, you and you now you have to buy something at 1 mil, right? And so if you were trying to spend your max, you, you haven't got as much to spend in the market. So hasn't your competition, though, um, especially if you're competing against people who are stretching to their max, but some people aren't stretching to their max. And so you know, they, they could have spent 2 mil, but they were wanting to spend 1.5, which is pretty much what they can borrow now anyway. Um, yeah. So that buyer is in a really good position because he's, you know, three, four months ago, there was a lot of people who were stretching to their max in that suburb. Well, they're no longer in that suburb. Yes, you may people people who would have spent 2 million and now trying to buy at 1.5. Um, and also at the moment, buyers are really hesitant, right? You know, there's a lot of media, you know, wh- where are rates going to land? Um and then you've got sellers, though, also saying, well, I'm, I don't know if I want to sell, I don't know if I want to upgrade, et cetera. So you're getting great buying conditions, but you're also getting the people, the sellers who are selling are willing to take offers if it's a fair offer because they don't want to be two months later thinking I should have taken that offer. Mm. But what we're seeing is that, you know, there's not much stock, right? That's mm. what you would see, Veronica. So great time to buy, but hard to buy something. But in these markets we're talking is actually there's getting a bit of a stock buildup, which is kind of all the ingredients you want, Right. And, and more choice means sellers are more nervous, buyers are more, no, uh, the FOMO isn't going off because they go, well, what? I can go to Ted Open Homes this weekend. I've got heaps of choice. I, even if I miss out on that property, it doesn't matter, right? There's another property. Yeah. And so that, that's the real market conditions for a real decline in prices, right? So not only are, are buyers reducing their budgets, not making offers, sellers are getting nervous, people are more and more rushing to the hills. Um, and so these are the markets we're sort of talking now. But I mean, Hobart's off a very low base. So you'd need that to keep going for for many months. So is this what is this the sort of the story you see playing out here, Ken? In many markets, yes, not all markets. So you yeah. know, and 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 there's some some really interesting ones emerging here that are just fascinating in that they are your hinterland type locations. So mm. your Noosa hinterlands on the list with a surge. Um, you know, your Richmond Valley hinterland is on this list with a listing surge. So. These have been really, really tight markets for years. And, and you know, the people in the south of, you know, when I do my, you know, search online, I'm always looking in the Noosa hinterland for the next place to live, right? Like <laughs> most people. And I, I, I wonder what will happen. I wonder if a lot of those fence sitters like me might start to see properties that are truly amazing come online and do something. I'd be interested to know um, the hold period of, of well, the average hold period of yeah, the properties that are coming on the market because anecdotally I'm hearing from a number of real estate agents uh, that the U-turn has started with some in some areas. So it would be very interesting to know some of these have had a very short uh, period of tenure. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. So um, funny you should ask. I've done two lots of measures. One is uh, I've measured uh, period since peak or time, you know, how many months since peak. Um, so that was one set of data. The other one I did for a number of these regions, I looked at listings over the last month and what the percentage of them that were held for less than 10 years. Now, now I can draw some conclusions from that, but 
that they're they're based on some big assumptions. And mm. and so so with that with that statement, um, Nunda and Sandgate up in Brisbane, um, they had the highest percentage of properties owned less than ten years in the in my list of surging listings. Right. Um, Nunda had forty four percent of properties I could have uh, you know that I sampled mm. that I counted that were held for less than ten years. So so you you can possibly draw a conclusion that they there might be some stressed uh, owners in that. The next um, overlay on that one, this is the way my brain starts working, is what's the size of those properties? Because in some areas where you've got small or, or a fair, uh, I guess, diversity of the size of properties, um, where people entry level is small and then the people will upgrade or they will outgrow those properties, then they're going to have a, a, lo- a shorter period of ownership on average than areas with your bigger suburban or your bigger family homes, for instance. Yeah. So there's there's that too. You sort of got to go, oh, but is the makeup of the prop back to the composition of what's in the marketplace, does the makeup of what stock is available dictate the shorter period or is it because you know that is an area under stress? I didn't split out houses and units. So that's mm. my bad there because what you will always find is you know units are pretty much 50, 60 percent less hold period yeah. um, because of that step up factor. Mm. Um, so absolutely. The only exception is that some of these investment areas where they're getting good cash flows, they're holding now. Well, and but also there's been quite a lot of people that have sold out of investment properties that they've recognised were not performing particularly well, had sat on them for a long time with doing absolutely nothing, realised that that rent alone is not your pathway to riches, and then after all that capital growth we experienced last year um, have failed. Yeah, Um, and sensibly got out of something that they've been stuck in for some time. So, And that's not, uh, you know, I don't know if we've got... I don't know how you work the data around that. How do you find that out? But that's certainly, once again, it comes down to anecdotal stories um, around motivations of a lot of the investors that have that have offloaded their properties recently. I think, too, what's interesting with the SA3 data, the, where you've shown that there's some a, a number of areas where the listings in the, the sort of the lower price points have been swelling versus the listings in the higher price points. Mm. And this is quite interesting. I'm wondering whether how widespread this is, um, but also and, and if there's any sort of, I guess, clue as to why and whether there's any commonality uh, amongst these regions. But also, I you know, we can clearly see how that can skew median data and really start spreading, I guess, misinformation around price movements. It's it's a great example. I'll go to a spot that I also like to look at a lot: Southern Highlands, uh, you know, which includes um, Berrima and Bowral and or whatnot. So the above-average price suburbs there um, across the SA3 have decreased by two, but the below-average price suburbs, their listings had increased by plus thirty-eight. So mm. it's a massive shift between the two. So um, you can see that there's going to be a fair amount of bias in that price measurement system. And the hedonic methodology, I won't pick on any particular uh, approach of hedonic, but the principle of it is you can control for these things, mm. these spurious things. But the bottom line is you can't control for everything. You can control by bedroom count or lot size. Um, but very hard if the only property selling are the cheaper ones or the only property selling are the more expensive mm. ones. So what you need is that good balance all the time for the assumptions to hold. 
And so what are you seeing in the Southern Highlands? You know, I think it's, are you seeing a listing surge there? Um, uh, it's in, it, look, I, I love the Southern Highlands here. I think you, you know that too. Um, so I was, uh, look, there is some interesting things happening. I did have a particular report ready to, to talk about it. Um, I found a number of uh, the, I picked on Barrel and I found that Barrel had a bit of a surge in, in listings. And that's, you know, that's a, that's, that's in the last week. So it's all over the place. I, you know, mm-hmm. it's very hard for me to put my finger on it and say, this trend will be here in the next three, four, five months. So what I found is a, about, you know, a couple of months ago, a surge in the below the average median listings. Um, but, you know, this morning I pulled up barrel and went for a dive and I found a number of properties on the top streets, which is always interesting, you know, because mm. I always try and say, you know, what's happening in the top 20 streets mm. is a big driver for that particular suburb and gives you a bit of an insight of what's happening. And I found a number of listings in barrel in the top streets. I mean, from a buyer point of view, we're starting to see a retraction from people willing to go to the regions. It's mm-hmm. like, a, you know, the people that... Um, because we're getting, we sort of ask new clients and clients to catch up with, you know, what's happening with your work around remote work and, you know, how flexible they are and then what, how have they changed their story. And, um, I, I, you know, you're getting real mixed reports. You know, some tech companies are work from anywhere forever. Um, we only have to come to the office, you know, a certain number of days, you know, for events, et cetera. Um, it doesn't, your income doesn't change if you swap locations as well. Um, and so they're getting real certainty. And then if they go to a competitor, they know that they're offering that. Um, but, you know, even desk-based jobs that are pretty much totally fine to work the last two years working from home um, are having to go to the office. You know, they got told two days, then they got told three days, and they got told four days um, uh, mandatory in the office. And they're, like, trying to fight. So there's a fight between employers and employees, et cetera. In that world, barrel doesn't work for those employees, mm. right? Even two days a week would be a mission from barrel. And, you know, and so I think they those areas are – you know, yes, the buyers that are getting that real certainty, but I would say they're the minority um, and they're getting better buying conditions in around the city and in around the first tier regions. And so, I don't know, it, it's, I guess you're going to have to wait for these work from home really to get embedded for, for barrel to bounce back, especially if more listings come on because people are like, well, I should have cashed in last year. Yeah, I can still sell up at a big price versus three years ago. And I think that's what a lot of agents are saying is, yeah, you could have sold last year, but you didn't. You're still up 80% on three years. Do you want to cash in um, and retire or, you know, buy something smaller? And so, yeah, I, I, I think they're going to have a buy problem. I really do these second tier regions where, you know, people aren't willing to go there unless they're certain around work from home, which just doesn't really happen right now. I just think it's really up in the air. Well, yeah, so Barrel specifically, I just pulled up the numbers there. In the last month, I just did a count yesterday, uh, it's up 16. That's yeah. a big jump. So up you know, above the, the average listings count for that particular suburb, up by 16. Um, but, yeah, gosh, it's such a stunning area. You can't, I, it's, it's, it drags me in because you start looking at listings, you can't, you can't stop. You just keep on... You keep on looking through because there's so many amazing properties well, there. I know we don't like medians, but medians gone up from a million to 1.7 in the last three years. Do, so too, like, too hard for spots like that because of the the massive range so if you look at the price distributions for mm-hmm. barrel it's one of those um it's you know way too hard and uh, so uh, i would 
pretty much rely on the SA3, even though it's 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 got its limitations as well in the moment um, because of some of the, the shifts. Uh, it's it, I'd probably not rely on uh, yeah. suburb level medians in the Southern Highlands. So what is interesting here, though, is that so the SA3 work that you did where you looked at quite a number of areas where the the you know, the lower price properties listings were swelling, whereas the higher price were holding. Yes. And therefore we can say, well, that's going to absolutely have a direct impact on the median price. They're going to have this perception that prices are falling probably more than they really are in those areas. Um, and then you see a change. So then you see, like, this is one of those areas. So then you see a change where, oh, actually the upper end is starting to list their properties. So then you think, okay, well, they certainly wouldn't be listing it because there's a perception they're going to get best dollar value. They must be listing it because either A, they have to, or B, they think that prices are going to really tumble and they're trying to get in early, um, even though it might be a little bit late. So it's interesting to know what's, I guess, driving the mentality of of individual owners, which obviously the data is not going to tell us. But what other areas have had that same pattern? Have, have there... You know, yeah. has there been a shift in other areas that you've you've noticed? Yeah, look, a couple of them. Um, uh, the eastern suburbs south is one that we're in. This is eastern suburbs of Sydney. That's Maroubra, Matraville, yeah, that so, down yeah. there. Yep. So you're upper. So you're above the average price suburbs. Include Clovelly and Malabar and uh, South Coogee, Coogee, Randwick, Kensington. You're below the average price suburbs there: Maroubra, Little Bay, Matraville, and Kingsford. Mm. Um, what we've seen is a, a an inter interesting shift here. It's been a decrease of 19, the average number of listings there. Uh, again, this data was for August. The mm. It was a decrease of 19 listings where the below the average went up by five. So again, significant, mm. very mm. much an imbalance between the two. So you can see uh, there um, it's going to drag that median down. Yeah. And then I guess it just it it's what happens next. You know, it'd be quite interesting to plot this over time and see if it wobbles all over the place or whether actually it um that disincentive for owners of you know your better quality property, there's a massive disincentive to put your property in the market when there's all this perception and the median is saying that prices are falling. So well, I think it tells us that I think a lot of people in the blue chip suburbs know this. Mm, you know, I think that, instinctively that, or otherwise, I, I agree. That's I think smart. they do. Mm. Yeah, and and they know when to hold. And you know, here's another one that I've got: a Broadbeach. We were just up there a moment ago. Broadbeach, mm. Burley, SA three. Um, the above average price suburbs is two there: Mermaid Beach and Broadbeach. Broadbeach yep. Waters that decreased by ten, but the below the average price suburbs there: Mermaid Waters, Miami, Burley Waters, Burley Heads. Uh, that increased by nineteen. Mm. Mm. So, you know, that, that they're, they're all the standout ones. You know, they're, they're, there are some more, but they are the ones that had the, I believe, had the biggest impact because you had such a broad price range. I looked at the interquartile range of prices for the SA3, and these got to the first short list based on how broad that interquartile range was. It's so fascinating, this. I just... <laughs> <laughs> always enjoy the um the the playing around with numbers but the thing too is that your brain you know i'm i'm sort of 
I'm I'm just like a mere apprentice in in your wake, you know, like as in my curiosity is peaked and I suddenly think, oh, but what about that? And that what mm. what, what impact would that have on it? Um, and you you do this, for, you know, you eat this stuff for breakfast. But w- what makes me always love a chat with you, Kent, is that you will sort of do something, you will create a set of data, you look at a table, you look at a chart or whatever, yep. and then you'll go, but hang on, what if I tweet this or that? So I'm curious, when you look at things, are you looking at because you've got the curiosity comes from your experience with data or it comes from actually there's behaviour underlying all this, there's human behaviour is what really drives all of these numbers, Um are you then starting to look at well, what's the behaviour underneath all this? I mean, what, what, how, where do you go? Mm. Where does your curiosity come, and where does the, your next thing that you think I need to check this now because oh. I can see these patterns? Yeah, the, the 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 what and the how is is easily more readily done on the desktop. It's the why is the hard bit, mm. and and I don't have the resources to get on the phone and talk to local agents, yeah. and probably those agents wouldn't have time to talk to me. But the ideal they might the at dr- the moment if they got in the dream listings. world, <laughs> it, the dream world would be that I could get on the phone. Um, to a number of those agents in Mermaid Beach and Broad Beach, Broad Beach Waters and have a chat. That would be my dream. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that's the hard bit. And that's what the media really want. You know, when I talk to the media about stories, it's why. Well, I can say, look, the data indicates this might be the case. Yeah. It might mm. be a stress listing. It might be, you know, this or the other. But nothing beats talking to an agent and really identifying who the buyers and sellers are. And quite often there is a backstory. I mean, I know that yeah. myself when I was a sales agent and we would have valuers call us, mm. you know, because there's valuers that do it all, just desk-based valuation versus the ones that are paid a bit extra to do, yeah. you know, do a good job and they would ring the agents and say, what do you know about this sale? What do you know about the backstory here? Why, you know, what are buyers actually doing in this area? Um you know, how hot is it? How how cold is it? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, why did this property take so long to sell? Why did it struggle? How many people were at the auction? How many people were bidding? Absolutely. Those sorts of things really make an enormous difference um, to individual results. And I think that's the problem. With, I love data because it does points us in a direction and then we need to go and interrogate it and say, well, does does the hypothesis that the data sort of sets us up to believe, is that actually true or not? Yeah, and mo- most of the time it starts out as a, just an idea and mm-hmm. hypothesis and nine out of ten a flop. They mm-hmm. do not do not hold water. Um, but sometimes you can just do descriptive stuff. So you're not looking to model, you're just you're looking to describe something. And that description of that something just could be a blip on the radar that happens once and doesn't come back again, you know. So, um, you know, I often I try and create something that is is a model or something I can show some correlation. And say, ah, look, I've mm. I found I found a new relationship between the data sets. Nine out of t- ten times, I do not. Mm. So, Kent, you sent through this um, evergreen sort of suburbs idea, which I, I thought was actually quite interesting. I mean, we would always encourage our clients to you know think long term, right? We're talking not just buying investment property for five or 10 years, we're trying to get an asset that you can really never sell. You know, mm. If you're going to use your borrowing capacity, use it wisely, buy assets you can hold, don't have to pay capital gains tax, you can re-borrow on it, um, et cetera. And make sure you've factored in all your uh, lifestyle home decisions mm. before you start buying these investment properties. And three years later, you say, I'm going to have to sell that to buy a house, you know, et cetera. But, and if you're going to bet long-term, we'll bet on the quality assets, right? And then bet on the p- better quality assets within that suburban you know, and make as least compromises as possible, right, mm. um, uh, et cetera. But 
you know, some people haven't got the budget for that, right? Because to get into these, you need big budgets, especially to get into the bigger, better parts of these suburbs. And I'd much rather a better quality in a poorer suburb than a poor quality in a, in a great suburb. Just ride the markets much better and um, protect yourself. Mm. But I mean, when you start looking at these suburbs that are more the, you know, suburbs that or areas, let's say, that are great investments long term. Yes. But maybe they've got a short term issue at the moment. You know, That's- they're starting to really see. A lot of people run for the hills because of, uh, or try to cash in, uh, and you know maybe where you can bet on a thirty-year time frame and say, well, we really think these suburbs have got scarce, you know, yeah. they've got supply issues, they've got landlocked, but they're great lifestyle and they're close to the capital cities, etc. Um, and I think that's a really interesting thing because you're getting better buying conditions probably because more listings, um, but you're also not just you know, going where there's opportunity that won't give you growth, you know? Yeah, it's potentially a bargain hunting market, but when you try to sell it in three years, there's mm-hmm. no guarantees you'll even make money, right? Um, so where are you seeing that? You know, great markets, we believe, but they're also getting a, a big increase in inventory and listings. Yeah, so I've um, I've identified a number of metrics that are what I'm calling evergreen metrics, predominantly census information. Mm-hmm. Okay. What I've, what I've done is just overlaid one property market set of metrics, which was, what was the growth rate per annum before the big boom be- yeah. prior to 2019? So that was it. It wasn't over. It wasn't an overfitted, overly complex thing. So what? I'll just list down those mm-hmm. variables: minimum income, right? Minimum household income of 1,500. Arbitrary. Um, and think of this as a Venn diagram. And you know, mm-hmm. yes, you could find great locations outside of that crossover point in the Venn. But this is my approach: a minimum of 1,500 mortgage repayment maximum. 2,500. So I didn't want, you know, people that are going to be too stressed in the coming year. Um, uh, Unit count maximum 50%. So I wanted that, you know, a a good blend. I didn't want too much density. Uh, Fully owned. I've gone the alt. That's my classic proxy to say this is going to be a little bit of a stabilizing factor, a bit of a rudder, um, you know, of uh, a minimum uh, 30% fully owned. Rental tenure, min 10, max 40%. So mm-hmm. it's a sweet spot. Not too many renters because you get up above that 50% mark, you start to see a bit of volatility in that rental market. It's got a hospital, that, you know, a big mm-hmm. a big hospital, a decent-sized hospital, not 50 beds but something significant. Uh, an average CIFA score, the socioeconomic score of, you know, 50, 50, uh, five or higher. So I've gone for the upper end of that. Um, and that doesn't mean it's a snobby area because those other variab- variables kind of give us some sweet spots there. So you can have lower priced areas that still have high CFA and minimum 2.5% growth rate leading up to 2019 over a five-year period. So that was that they were my variables that gave me then magically a nice rounded number of 50, 50 SA3s that I'll be carrying <laughs> for this year and through next year. And that's my focus. And what I love about that is because so many websites and so many um it, it what we're all looking is for is this a, a number or a score or a or a green light you know to say right this is where you should buy but so many of those are all about the short term and if you remember when i first when we first interviewed you back in 2018 and at that time i was trying to work out is there any way that we can actually determine um, the fundamentals for long-term capital growth with any sense of reliability because 
every marker I could look at had a sort of a two-year limit limit statute of limitations on it, you know, and that's not long enough to make purchasing decisions if you're looking for investing. Mm. It's just not a long enough horizon. So I guess what you're looking at there, a couple of arbitrary numbers that you put on it, but by but they're benchmarks to say less than that, just don't even entertain. Mm. Because these are longer term metrics, you know, incomes, for instance, unless unless there's just a sudden um, you know, development that's that's mine. A mining town, for instance, mm. would have incomes mm. for a period of time that are very high, right? But the tenure and you know the owner occupier ratio, yeah. the fully owned yeah. ratio, there's there's a lot of those other things that it wouldn't have. You know what I mean? So to be deselected because of those things. So I like, I really like those metrics that you've come up with mm. because hopefully they would knock out all the the outliers and look there will be some suburbs that miss out in the list because they're missing something but i think if you're going for safety you're wanting to yeah you're really wanting to looking for areas unless you know them very very well yourself um and you know that they they they're good long-term um propositions we need some of this sort of um common sense approach Mm. and then look the, the idea here now is to say now that we've locked these 50 areas, these market the market data will ebb and flow. Mm. And, and and you need to make a call individually to say, uh, is it right for me? Uh, has it bottomed out? A lot of people want to time that bottoming out thing. So, okay, that's fair enough. But yeah. here's, here's the data as is, and I'm not filtering other than just saying that the, the scoring and the raw data against that SA3 is going to be presented against these 50 we're going to list the suburbs and you know, go and do your research. But now we've refined your list. And this is the point. So we all know one of the most common questions to be asked is where should I buy an investment property? Where's the next place to go off? Because they're not realising the next place to go off may not be the the great deliverer of, of um, growth over a 10, 20-year period. However, so the, but the data is only going to get you 80% the way there. And likewise, the location itself is only 80% the way there. The, really, the next the next challenge is to be able to identify what's a good asset in any of mm. those locations. And that's that's the art. You know, we've got the science covered. Now the art bit comes in. So, and that's the bit that you can't help with, Dent. I mean, Kent. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think I think there's an interesting point, though, is that um, – a lot of these areas have been so tight for the last few years that suddenly as they return to normal, you can start to search and find really good properties, properties that I look at and say, oh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to live there, but you know, could I get a half decent yield for it as well? You know, So d- does it have the best of everything? So I think what, what I'm doing now is I've switched away from trying to do any suburb level filtering and the methodology I'm now applying, I've used this for a while, is pick the area, search for every listing in the area, not specifically suburbs. So leave suburbs off the table, look at the area, look at every listing in the suburb, sort by price, by whatever, then shortlist the houses, the properties, Mm. um, and then the suburb decision comes in at the end. So if I've shortlisted three properties, do I decide the, the property, I bring in the suburb metrics right at the end. Interesting. And it, but you, that are you doing that with, 80% more, 80% d- more opportunities. But you're doing that within an area. So, within, it's so you've defined yeah. the SA3. What I've done is I've done the, I've grouped together all of the suburbs under one search on REA and I've put that on, on my uh, website. So you can click and search everything 
on REA in that SA3. So if I wanted to look at Rabina, the SA3 of Rabina or Kayama Shell Harbour, one click and there it is. And it's already done for you. All those suburbs have been clustered together for you. Well, I say I did it. I delegated it to my wife. She set well, it up over a few days. She's done a good job for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, mean, I guess the interesting thing with the listings, though, isn't it from I was looking at some SQM data and you might know this, Kent, but there hasn't been a spring pop that you would usually see. Um, and you'd usually think, I would think this year that there'd be a pop earlier than previous years because people would be worried that if they wait till later in the spring season, they're going to get a lower mm. price. And uh, my sister's selling, you know, multiple clients and are looking to sell. And all the agents were pretty much saying, look, to get front loaded, right? Get, get in before all this other supply comes on late spring. And that's not really what happened. You know, a lot of, you know, you can look at CoreLogic, I'm looking at right now. Usually you would see a massive ramp up in new listings mm. in October. October was well down. Like similar September was sort of similar last few years, but in October it just didn't pop. And it, it'd be game to list your property in November this year. Like because, you know, days on market still need to run out. You know, buyers are really nervous. So if you do mm. list in November, it doesn't sell. Then you've got December. Um, and you're not going to list in December, right, or January. So I feel like if it doesn't come on in October, like you're not going to see a massive increase in November. Then you've got December, January, no listings. You're still going to get buyers, you know, taking properties off the market. Um, and so we're going to go into next year with very low listings across, you know, certain suburbs and certain regions are different, right? But mm. in our capital cities. And then what we're also saying is buyers are all saying, oh, I'm going to wait till next year. Um, I'm ready. I still want to buy. Well, I'm going to wait till next year. And, you know, generally, January Although, sort of. Isn't there a motivation amongst buyers to potentially get in before further interest rate rises um, impact their borrowing capacity even further uh, and also they can lock in um, fixed rates? Uh, fixed rates sort of that sort of has run. You know, you probably be, you know, it's pretty, it's unlikely that you're going to win on that unless rates go up higher than you expect. Um, and, but but on the capacity thing, I mean. Uh, uh, I, a lot of that's buyers, done. You reckon? So if, yeah, okay. because, you know, the RBA has gone from sort of 0.1 to uh, 2.6, right? So it's mm. gone up, you know, 2.5%. And that, so it's not going to go up another 2.5%, right? It might go up another 1%, which would be potentially another 10% of borrowing capacity. Um, APRA will probably have to step in next year and, you know, reduce the serviceability buffer um, mm. to support the market because they try to slow down the market, you know, in the heat of the market. Mm. They're going to try to reverse that decision, mm. but potentially try to support the market. So that could give more borrowing capacity next year. You got the potential stamp duty change. You can see Dominic Perich has just started getting his media going again, um, and so we're going to see some. Uh, I reckon in the next month or so, that's going to really ramp up. No stamp duty up to one point five in in mm. New South Wales. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that uh, not many buyers are really wanting to push the button. We've still seen lots of clients buy, um, and we had a client buy literally a triple A property last week, like everything possible, still under competition. Still ten percent above the price guide, um, and but I were able to get it. You know, it, that's that's the key difference, right? In any other market, they were competing with one other buyer, not competing with five. Mm. Um, and so I don't know. I just think I'm just you know the conversation we're having with clients is that you know lots are saying it. We want to wait to see what happens. We want to wait till next year. Um, but typically December and January we're really busy. You'd be surprised. A lot of people get their docs to us in December mm. and January because it's like that opportunity. You got a bit of time at home. You finally go make these life decisions around, you know, 1st of January, et cetera. Um, 
And then, you know, you saw this in 2021 where the market really took off in, in February. Um, so, you know, if you could easily see a bit of confidence return, maybe the RBA rate cuts don't, you know, you already can see the 25 basis points versus the 50. Um, that's calmed down our buyers. You know, uh, rates are sort of not going to keep on going up by 50 basis points. Um, and so you're going to see very low listings, buyers start, more buyers enter the market, stamp duty changes, and all of a sudden you could start see open homes getting busier, right? Um, well, in yeah. Sydney, um, and look, Sydney and Melbourne follow a somewhat similar pattern. Uh, certainly in Sydney this year, the beginning of this year, 2022, when there'd been a lot of negative press at the end of last year and a lot of, a lot of you know, warning, warning, rates are going to go up and 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 growth slowed. In fact, the peak of uh, price growth was January in, in Sydney anyway, 2022. Yeah. At the beginning, February, March, clearance rates were very high. Listings numbers were very high as well. And the reason that that happened wasn't, you know, because the market was about to take off, as we all know it didn't, but was actually all of those things that you're talking about. The fact that really you go through a six to eight period, a week period where there is very little new stock hitting yep. the market. And over the December, January holiday period, a lot of people do get themselves into gear for the the following year to do what, all those life change things. They've got time to think through their plans. Yep. Um, and also, so you've got new entrants to the market coinciding with the seasonal lack of stock. And that's why February, in a traditional sense, has the highest clearance rate of the of the year. You know, it's yeah, the right. biggest month for auction clearance rates, um, typically. So, and even, and I've been watching this pattern over the year, this year, and it's really interesting and stark to see how strong things were in February, March. And, to, you know, even at the time, it didn't feel like it was strong. It actually felt like we were going to have what mm. we're having now. That we yep. knew this was coming. We felt it, but it didn't transpire into actual um, the market. Uh, even though pri the peak of prices was in January, you still saw this actual heat in terms of clearance rates and um, and listings numbers. So I would imagine that exactly right. We're getting into the end of this year and the beginning of next year, even more starved of stock than we were last year. Yeah, you know. People will find themselves competing more and hard, and it might only shut only last four weeks, you know, until until the volume of new stock comes on and actually absorbs that new demand. But that that can happen even in flat markets. You can have these little peaks of activity um, because what buyers fail to understand, and even vendors for that matter, is that there's a bigger picture going on. You know that that what they're buying in a snapshot of time, and they're only really focusing on what's happening at that time. They're not sort of pulling themselves out and going, "Well, really, what's really happening in the market across the board?" And agents, let me tell you. So all those agents that are telling you that you got to get on now to beat the spring rush, part of that's true. Part of that is really about knowing what seasonality does to the property market. But the other part is agents will always say, "You got to sell now because the best, the only thing we do know yeah. is the market condition now," and yeah. they want your listing in their pocket so that they can actually get their commission so so agents it's very rare to get a sales agent to recommend you to to wait mm. very rare and they will find a way to encourage you to sell now regardless of the market conditions there'll be a different different spin on it and whether they think that they're biased or not they are you know it's just impossible not to be biased when you are you know relying on that for your paycheck so it sort yeah, of comes I'm back to where you're getting information from and I think the other thing is in booms, it's you have to shift your market you're buying because you're, the market's moving 
Right, mm. so you look in one suburb, then you get pushed out, and then you move to another suburb. But you make that decision fast. And time is money. You know, yeah, exactly. After you get burnt the first time, you know you try. You could have bought that in that suburb for that price three months ago, but now you're buying in this suburb, mm. which is nowhere near where you want it to be. In this market, the opposite's happening, I guess, because well, similar things happening. Not because the market's going up, market's coming down, and a lot of the adjustment I think in prices happened pretty fast, and has already happened. Um, but people's budgets are reducing. So, yeah, they'd love to stay in that suburb, but they can't afford to do it anymore because their budget and they're having to look at other suburbs, research other suburbs, mm. look at, um, you know, change their location, not because it's more uh, expensive that they can't spend as much. Um, and I think people are doing that research now. We're getting, you know, a lot of our clients who were looking at X suburb and now going, okay, well, we can't afford there, but we still want to buy. We still think it's a good suburb. Let's go check out, you know, the Upper North Shore um, because we wanted to buy in the beaches or et cetera. So I think a lot of that research is happening. This is the research people time for people um that they're going to enter the market when they can find something you know good so it's an adjustment period so i I don't know just a bit hesitant with you know people saying i'm just going to wait 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 um because i think your window is open right and maybe it's still christmas maybe it's till you know the second half of next year um but you know at some point you don't want to wait for that to shut and then all of a sudden open homes are busy you're competing and you've missed that initial bounce back i think you know for those who have you know, lots of borrowing capacity, lots of equity, you know, yeah, take your time for sure. But the problem is that what a lot of people don't recognise is that there's often opportunities in a market that is personal for them that if they don't take it, they won't be in that market. And so in a rising market, everyone knows that it's obvious, right? Because you go, well, I'm going to get priced out, then I'm forced to look elsewhere and find plan B, plan C. But in this market conditions, I think people are are not as um, aware that they have an opportunity or if they have an opportunity that once that's gone, they may never get it again. And you know, it is it is an interesting thing because I do like I look at you know my good deeds. You know, I look at the the people that I'd spoken to three four years ago that still haven't bought. Yeah, it's like even though you waited, and yes, so sure prices might be on the way down again. You you're still not you know you're no further ahead. In fact, now you have got less borrowing capacity. You never actually bought anything. You never got any of that gain. There still is an improvement. Like trying to go back to 2017 prices, despite what some headlines have been saying recently, I, that's not going to happen on many properties in this area. And if it does happen, there's something seriously wrong with the property. So so those doors are shut. So I think mm. that that's a I think. I know Stuart Weems often talks about looking at your borrowing capacity as an asset in itself. Oh, that is the biggest opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why spend your time looking at properties that I could buy when you're not saying, well, the maximum I can spend is X and that's not going to change. I'm only going to be able to because I'm not going to increase my incomes dramatically. So I've got this scarce resource, which is my borrowing capacity. Yes, that may go up a little bit if my income goes up, but it won't go up a lot. So the the most important thing is you use it wisely and that's what Stuart's, yeah, yeah. So there's two aspects to this. It's like if you're going to be like buying an investment property, for instance, buy a bloody good asset, buy the best yeah. asset you can get. Don't exactly. go buying a shit asset with it or splitting it into two shit assets. You know, buy one solid great yeah. asset, the best one you can possibly get. So that's the borrowing capacity as an asset from an investor's point of view. But as an owner-occupier's point of view, borrowing capacity as a scarce resource is um, is like if I don't act now, and this is not going to be for everyone, but there are people that this applies to, that if I don't act now, 
I will never actually make be able to make this leap in this way, or I will never be able to get into the market, or whatever it is. Now that is this is not me sort of going. You got to act now because you know, like you know, yeah, it's yeah. never going to go backwards. That's that's definitely not my message here. It really is around these sliding door moments that. I know because I talk to so many people and have done for so many years, the people that don't take action that could have with good guidance, which obviously yeah. if they'd engaged us, they would have had good guidance, but those that didn't act and I think, oh, they're gone. They're gone. They're never, ever, ever going to have that opportunity again. Yeah. I mean, we saw this in 2020, you know, obviously with COVID, um, same in 2018. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes I'll follow up clients that are, you know, old inquiries, um, you know, every six months, we sort of do emails back to them. Um, and I'll see on there, there'll be a reply, oh, I'm going to wait because I can see that prices are going to fall, right? We yeah. have lots of clients who have you know, been on Nart North for many years as well. Um, <laughs> who are the, and I can read what I'm writing at that point because it's like literally time stamped. Mm. And it's interesting. I'm saying, well, that's not what we're sort of seeing, you know, like, or actually I'm a little bit worried about that right now. And so, but you know, because as a as a broker, we see people like who are just starting at their start of mm. their thinking. Like maybe Veronica a little bit later, but you also see you see what sellers are seeing, you know, because you're speaking to agents every day, mm. right? And agents are telling you what vendors are doing. We don't really see that side too much. Yeah. Um, we get it from you, like buyers agents. But you know, like for example, a client, like a random call, you know, client referral. Um, they're thinking about moving from their apartment to upgrade into a house. This is the first call they've had. Like this is, you know, and then I think about doing this over the next 12 months, um, et cetera. And so we're seeing buyers are still getting ready and what are they doing? Um, and so I just think that's just a observation is that you just know that things are happening in the background and, you know, all of a sudden you become a sheep and then you all start at taking action when everyone else is doing it and the stampede will go and that's yep. the worst time to be buying. So, um, well, yeah. I think a lot of people are trying to time the bottom. And every month now, uh, I just looked at our top, my top 50 list, and I just looked at it, and it was over seven months post. Uh, the average was over seven months post peak. Yeah. So every month now, you're a little bit closer to that bottom. Mm. Um, that's, that's a good way will, to think about it. Will yeah. either flatten or start to incrementally rise, and then there'll be the stampede because I think people will. Tr- the FOMO will kick in again. So it's, Everybody it's, gets off the fence at the same time. Yes. So there's an <laughs> irrational fear of pay, paying too much now, and I don't know what acronym that one is, but, you know, so we've got that <laughs> irrational. Humans are just weird. Yeah. Oh, I know. This is, this is why I love the stock market, though, is that if you want to get um, accumulate, uh, the best way to do it is, is regularly, right? It's called dollar cost averaging, right? So mm. you buy a little bit every month. And what that does, it takes away the fear of trying to find the best day um, and you just keep accumulating. And what you should technically do is when markets are falling, you increase how much yeah. you save per month because you're actually buying at better prices. And, in, and all the way through a down market, you keep accumulating, you keep accumulating, and you don't worry about timing that perfect day. In property, you can't do that. It'd be so nice if you could because you'd be accumulating mm. right now. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and you'd be buying, you know, half a half a brick, you know, et cetera. Um, I know there's been these fractional There's fractional stuff. models yeah, but, might get but, us there in 20 yeah, or 30 years' I, time. But, you know, it's sort of, they don't really sort of work. You can't get <laughs> I'm leverage, not a et cetera. Fan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and there's so many other reasons. But but that, that, that'd be the dream. So the problem with property is that people do wait for the bottom, but the chances are in stock masters are exactly the same. People miss the bottom. Yep. And that bounce back period, usually a lot of that growth, because what ends up happening is you chase your tail. So you go, oh, the market's gone up 15%. Oh, maybe I should just wait. Oh, I'm not going to pay that. And then all of a sudden, instead of trying to buy 
with property, it's hard. You can't just buy the market in 24 hours, like in shares. Mm. Um, it could take you three to six months. And if you don't, and that's it's a hard thing to do is let's say you could have bought a property for a million dollars and then, you know, this month and then you didn't wait. And the next, that property went to 1.1. It's a hard thing to then go pay 1.15 the next month because you're still yeah. attached to paying a million dollars two months ago. Yeah. And you've got to take that leap to get into the market. Otherwise, because you, you've lost the direction. I think that's what's going to happen. It's same thing happened in 2020. Same thing happened in 2019 is a lot of buyers will just miss the stampede um, because they won't want to meet the market when it does start to recover. So just a bit of a warning for people who are out there thinking about making moves is, you know, that window's open. You just got to be, it's obviously hard buying, buying something quality. That's what we're sort of oh, saying. Oh, yeah. It, and that just comes down to when you find it, you need to be ready. And that's what I say to, to all of our clients. You know, we're not in the business of rushing anybody by anything. I'm not here to say, oh, you know, like <laughs> you got to do it now because it's great opportunity. It is, but only if you can find the right property. It's still not a good opportunity if you're buying a dud. And anyone who's chasing bargains, well, they're good luck to you, but you probably yeah. be stuck with them for a long time. One final question I guess I've got for you, Kent, is that in some of these areas where we will be seeing that real increase in in inventory what you know i always ask the question what led to the high demand that was experienced last year in in some of these areas and is that uh is a is a sudden and market increase in inventory now the a reaction to the fact that it was only a, a, an area that increased in in prices so much purely because everything else was increasing and i guess that whole rising tide of saw shipping or the ripple effect or whatever you, sort of analogy you want to look at it resulted in a lot of areas having quite a lot of price growth mm. And it may also result in uh, vendors putting piling to put their property on the market now because I think she I want to get onto this this bandwagon, mm. but it's really around an area that fundamentally only went up because the entire market went up. So yeah. not because on its own merits. Yeah, I think borrowing capacity was a big driver. FOMO was a big driver, and limited supply. They're those three kind of found founding elements that I think has, has, has created this market and just there's such a limited supply. And I don't think it's a, a stampede to list properties. I think this is a return to normal. Mm. And, and because yeah. we've come off such an extraordinarily low base, we're thinking this is this is something yeah. significant. It's not. It's just getting back to where we were a few years back. So we've just forgotten. Yeah, we've forgotten. Yeah, I'll just say the other, I mean, the buying capacity, the other two things are probably the interest rates, obviously, you know, 2% rates, it was mm. a big part of it. But I'd also say that the work from home, the COVID world was a big driver for property mm. all over the world. This isn't mm. an Australian problem. This is global. We saw more and more people spend more time saving, thinking about their home, their home mattered more than ever. Um, their flexibility, their options to leave their sort of inner city sort of bubble started yeah. to. Um, and so we all spoke about that for years. So these were just, those things aren't going to, if anything, they're unwinding, right? Mm. Return to yeah. work, um, higher interest rates, borrowing capacity falls, um, and high rates become more picky. You know, you think about it, high rates go, the less likely you're going to make compromises mm. because you think, well, if I'm going to pay $12,000 a month or $8,000 a month, do I really want it for that property? And the, so you become pickier and that's, that's the real danger right now is those bargain hunters who say, <laughs> I could have bought that for last year, but it's a real proper, problem, property that's got lots of problems and compromises. Um, if rates keep going up, 
people will less want to make compromises to those problems. So uh, that's just a big warning. Thanks so much today, Kent. There was uh, lots in it. Uh, obviously, our evergreen suburbs and a bit of a market chat at the end. And so thanks so much for having another chat. Thank you. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.